You can edit no. it. <laughs> we will. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, no promises. No promises about that. <laughs> uh, real life, real people trying to do this. Okay. Welcome to the East Lake Community Church Podcast. If you'd like to visit us in person or virtually, our services are held every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Also, our website where you can find more information about us is eastlakeonline.com. Here we go. We're officially, this is the start of our second episode of our podcast. We have, um, yes, we have some of our pastors from East Lake uh, here. And what this podcast really is aiming to do is just simply talk about our theme as a church, which right now is based off of our sermon series, The Heart of Neighboring. So we're talking today about neighboring. You guys, if you're joining in, you're on episode two. If you like it, keep watching because that lets us know that we should keep doing it. And if you don't, don't watch and we'll know, hey, we're duds. All right. So uh, we're glad you guys <laughs> we're glad you guys are joining us now. So talking about the heart of neighboring this last Sunday, Pastor Ray, who's down on right here underneath me, he uh, talked um, out of Luke five. I would just went back and watched the sermon again. And really this one, if if I was picking an overall theme, it's that it's that being a, neighbor, a good neighbor is going to cost you. Now, there were three big things that I picked out of it that I felt like were the main things that it will cost you. Um, one of them, the first one was, is that it's going to take mercy. Um, and Ray, you told a story about your, um, your, one of your previous employers and mercy, go ahead. Somebody, one of you guys just pick out, how would you describe mercy right now? A lot of people, um, hear the word, they hear the word grace, they hear mercy. This isn't officially Webster's dictionary, but when I say the word mercy, what does it make you think? Who wants to? Anybody I'll, I'll give you my, my shot. I'll, okay. I'll give you my shot. Um, I, I, when I think of mercy, um, I think about getting less than I deserve in terms of, of a negative consequence. Meaning, yes, here you deserve, you know, let's, let's put it in jail terms. You've done something, you deserve 10 years. Um, the mercy is that I'm going to give you one. Yeah. In the hopes that that's enough for you to learn the lesson. So it's, it's like not purely human term. So like in, in the instance of Ray's story about his work, he was honestly done wrong. Somebody did some, treated him poorly, unfairly. What was deserved and what could have been acquired was that he could have honestly sued the hospital probably. I mean, I'm no lawyer, <laughs> but yeah, there was one direction that you could have taken it and instead opted to go the other direction and to show mercy but what was gained out of that mercy, and I'm not telling the story because I hope people watch it. You know, they go back online and they watch it if they haven't seen it. But what was gained was a relationship that would have never taken place. If mercy had not been shown, there would have been what we talked about last week, a burned bridge. And instantly that relationship never could have been reconciled. And actually, honestly, if, as I'm thinking about it, it could have been the kind of thing where this person who did you wrong would have continued to not like Christians, would have put that in a category of, well, if they're so Christian, then why do they treat me like this? And you doing the opposite of what was deserved, showing mercy, instantly reconciled the relationship. And then later on in, in, in the relationship, whenever she needed Christian help, boom, who did she think of? The person who showed her mercy. Right. 
right? So if you haven't watched the sermon, we didn't tell the story right there intentionally. You should go back and watch the sermon and see about how mercy was shown and how that all played out. So I say that story to say Ray kind of told his story and Ray, you, you tell another one, obviously, if you want, but do you guys have any stories in your life that, that come up and we have to be careful in this because we don't want to, you know, throw other people under the bus, but has there ever been a time maybe where you've been shown mercy? So we're not the hero of the story maybe, or a time I'll bring where, up, uh, yeah, go ahead, Ray. I'll bring up one thing. Okay. Um, and, I only caught this because of going back and rewatching it and seeing the comments. And there was one particular comment that sang out to me was my wife's. My wife wasn't in the service, but she was watching virtually and what she brought up. So the people that will go back and watch this, there be, there's a likelihood that you won't catch my wife's comments. So this is why I'm bringing it up. She said, and all this was done before he ever became a pastor. It was when I was young in my, I bring up in the message and marriage and us developing our um, adult faith in Christ Jesus, that these decisions were made. So to remove the stigma off of pastors who normal attenders would think, well, yeah, a pastor is supposed to do that. Or you would think that we would do that. Here's the reality. That is the calling of every follower of Jesus Christ to default to prayer versus action and allow your action to come out of your prayer time being led by Jesus. And so that was the beauty of that story was that it was done out of my relationship with Christ. And that's it. My desire was to ultimately please him. And I gained a relationship out of mercy. Philip, you are spot on. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's key in a discussion about mercy. Um, because I, you know, I know I've been shown mercy. I was always a big justice person. You know, I want to see for the, the underdog, I'm rooting for them. I want to see people get justice um, when they've been taken advantage of. And so sometimes then you lose your compassion when you are so wrapped around seeking justice. And I think the key to both mercy and justice is being really directed by the Holy Spirit. Um, That's the key to what Ray did. Uh, There could have been a circumstance where God would have said, no, I want you to do this differently because maybe change needs to happen in this organization that isn't gonna happen any other way. But when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he will let you know, when should I be merciful? And when do I need to say, okay, this is not all right. I need to stand for justice in this instance. And either of them are good, mm-hmm. but when they're God-directed. Yeah, I think that's it, Michelle, when they're God-directed. I think back to a time in my life where I needed to be shown mercy. And, it, and I've shared bits and pieces of this story, so I'll just give a short version, really tiny. Um, 25 years ago, I was working with Young Life as a young believer, and uh, I was still pretty full of myself. I was not a pastor yet. I was, I was working multiple jobs and I was pretty sure I was it. Um, and I had a relapse in my drinking. And, and I've been very open about the fact that, you know, I've been a couple decades now sober, but there was a brief season where I went back into that behavior and I was faced in a situation where I very easily could have been disqualified from ministry for life. Um, and, and, and I knew it. Uh, and it wasn't like I did something horribly illegal or, you know, horrible. It's, it's a skeleton in the closet. It's I 
was not faithful in the ministry I was given, which led to some bad decisions. And, and I used some funds to buy alcohol that wasn't mine. And, and they had every right to end my ministry career. But you know what they did? They said, you're about the same age you were, Ray. They said, you're a 28-year-old guy um, who's, who needs to figure some stuff out. And we think you love Jesus. And so they fired me and immediately came around the table, sat down next to me and said, now we start rebuilding. Ooh. And for me, that was incredible mercy. I, I am still close friends with that individual to this day. Um, I, I, I can now say I'm back in ministry because they made a phone call to help make that happen, you know, 18 months later. And, and for me, I went from kind of being like you, Michelle, where I was pretty judgmental of everyone else because I didn't want anyone to see what I had going on in my case. Mm -hmm. And here comes this mercy. And here I am 20 some odd years later, um, still hopefully being faithful to God in every little call that he gives me each day, but never forgetting the mercy I was shown so that I can then show it to others. And that's, I think the point I wanted to get to is, that mercy shown to me has helped me learn how to show mercy to others, um, which is what I loved about your story, Ray. There you go. Yeah, that mercy, you can show it so, so many times whenever you're struggling to give it. It's really cool to be able to remember all the times that you've been <laughs> given mercy. When you, yeah. when you feel completely justified to be angry at your friend, your spouse, your coworker, your employer, it's really hard to show mercy until you remember, wait a minute, how many times has somebody done this for me? And where would I be if they didn't do that for me? And it's a, it's a game changer. And, and I love, I feel like another theme through that whole discussion was you have to seek God. There are so many things in life that we just don't have black and white answers to. You have to seek God but be ready for God to not do what you think he's going to do for him to lead you where you, you don't, that's what he's God and you're not. And I love that. We have to seek God in everything that we're doing or we will find ourselves in trouble and, and not just seeking God to affirm what we believe, uh -uh. But seeking God open-handed saying, what would you do? What, what is your will in this situation? And then you can hear from him. Woo, I love it. That's good stuff. So, okay. So mercy was one of them. The other one that I picked up as I was watching the sermon back this morning was <clears throat> that being a good neighbor is going to cost you your time. I feel like you, you made a few, a few references to that about how it's not necessarily just always going to be on your schedule. You know, let's talk about, let me just take it to our immediate neighbors that are in our neighborhood. If you're rushed for time, you are the guy who shuts the garage. I don't have a garage door, but if I did, you shut the garage door, you get in, it's time for me. But to be a good neighbor is to stand out there and have those conversations, is to, you know, go and, and maybe it's just making a pecan pie. Somebody did that for me the other day. Pecan pie, we're in the South. And brought it over. And all of a sudden, the discussion that comes from that but it's time. It's, it's not doing what you want for you. It's intentionally saying, I am not in this house for me. I am in this house for God and all the people around me who need to experience his love. So does that stir up any thoughts with you guys as we talk about being a good neighbor is going to take your time? So my new life group that began meeting on Monday, we're going through the series. 
Yeah. And the, the wording that the authors of the book, the creators of the study call it is, are you interruptible? Are you, are you so focused that you actually (laughs) with nonverbal cues, tell people don't talk to me. Don't bother me. I don't have time. And we've all been in that mode before. I mean, whether we got a salesman coming to us and we pretend like we're talking on our phone so that they don't approach us or um, when people want to talk to us and we make a beeline to go in a different direction just to avoid the conversation. And so in order to neighbor well, you have to begin to allow yourself to be interruptible, which is what Jesus was all throughout scripture. He's on his way in one place and then he gets interrupted by a woman who touches the hem of his garment. He's on his way to another place and he finds out that somebody, a uh, kid is sick and they, they want him to come and see about the kid. He's on another mission and they tell him about Lazarus has died. Jesus was available. And that's what we need to make ourselves to the immediate people right around us. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be extremely difficult for those of us that have garages that are actually not full of other stuff. They can actually house our vehicles to actually park outside our garage with the intention to actually interact with the people that are, that is next door and across the street from us. Mm -hmm. That's cool. This is hard for me, you know, this is hard for me. Um, and uh, I talked about time last week, so I'm not going to talk about that again because, you know, <laughs> I, I have a challenge there and God's challenged me. Um, but, you know, I thought about when my kids were little when you were saying that, Ray, um, because God put his thumb on me and said the same thing to me about raising my children. Are you so on a mission that you cannot allow your kids to interrupt your day? You're going to miss the most significant times with your kids. And um, I, as I am, have transitioned into empty nesting, want to build a life with margins. And I want to build those margins so that I can, inside of my own self, being who I am, liking to accomplish tasks, build in enough margin that when I need to be taken off task, it's not stressful for me. Um, And so, you know, I think some people can just naturally be interruptible. Others of us may have to work at it a little bit, but it doesn't matter your personality. God still calls you to be willing to be interrupted for his priorities. Mm -hmm. And I think there's another side to that coin that goes with it that we sometimes use as a crutch, but actually we also see in Jesus's life. And it's a word called boundaries. And I think by having appropriate boundaries, we become more interruptible, which is the irony. When we have no boundaries, we find ourselves running from one thing to the next, being bothered by being bothered. But if we have boundaries, we know that there's times that it's okay to close the garage door. It's when we close the garage door every time. There, there are times in Jesus's ministry, they were not every time, they were not the majority of the time, I would argue, where he said, no, right now I go and be with my father. Right now I go and rest, um, which made him more approachable in those times because you knew when you had Jesus, you had him because mm-hmm. it, it, it made sense. And so I think that there's those two sides of that coin I don't know if you'd agree with that, where we have to have the boundary that allows us to have the margin. But if we have no margin, we don't have boundaries. We have walls. And, and, and I think that boundaries are, are healthy. Walls are dangerous. And I think it's finding the balance. 
Absolutely agree with you, Rob. I mean, if we go back to use an occurrence in Jesus's ministry, when they told him that Lazarus was sick, while they interrupted him to tell him that Jesus stayed where he was at for three more days. (laughs) I mean... And they're looking at him like he's crazy, but right. And, he's and then, dying. Yeah. Right. He's dying. And yeah. so, you know, it would, it would take them a considerable amount of time to get to where Lazarus was anyway. And so you figure you never hear about Jesus running anywhere or off to anything. Yeah. And so he had appropriate boundaries so that he could be mm-hmm. available to whatever the pressing need that the father presented to him. Yep. So be interruptible, be a person who is interruptible and live your life with margin and see, I I like to see everything that I'm doing is it's not about the task I'm doing. It's about who's around me during that task. And that means going to the grocery store. It means when they're checking you out that the, the goal is not to get checked out and get into your car and be on your way. The goal is there's a person in front of you how are you treating them? You know, whenever you're sitting down at dinner, the goal is not to eat your food. The goal is the people around you. It's like always not just your task. It's not just, you know, a lot of people look at me and they say, hey, you're, you know, you're a worship leader, you're a worship pastor. So they would think what I do is I lead worship and I play music. But I would argue that I might do that, but my real ministry is the relationships that are established in rehearsal, the conversations during the week, when somebody's sick, how we're showing up for that person. That's where the pastoring happens in the the lifelong pastoring happens. So that's really good. So we we hit mercy, we hit time. So, you know, being a good neighbor is going to cost you those things. Another one that that you hit that I thought was really strong, Ray, was that it's going to cost you your possessions. And so many of us, we look at our lives and we say, wow, these are the things I've acquired. I mean, I'm sitting in a house and it's really hard for me to not say this is my house and to not get in my truck and say, hey, this is my truck. You just ran into my truck, you know, or uh, this is my whatever. And so your possessions, let's talk a little bit about that and how you can use your possessions to be an amazing neighbor. Let me help you loosen your grip on the things that you say you own. Yep. If you can't take it to heaven, you don't own it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, when we first moved here, Ray, when we first moved here, we stayed so we could not get into our house. The closing process was just taking a while. And there's a family in our church that, that offered their home for us to stay in. And I remember they wrote a note on the wall and they said something to the effect of this is God's house. Like imagine the first thing when people come into your home to not say, Hey, this is our home. Here's our bathroom. You know, like instead to say, this is God's house and we are just stewards of it. And I was, I mean, we know that it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody that ever moves here lives in that house for a little while, but we'll just just leave it at that. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's a stopover on the it's way a to, your, to, your, to your longer term. It's kind of like while you're staying there, it's like, okay, just so you know, this is God's, this is how it works if you're going to be here at East Lake. And it's a great, it's a great first stop, I must say. It sure yeah. is. <laughs> you know, I love that you brought that up because it's just a, I'm going to give a tiny taste of this weekend without revealing anything um, beyond the fact that we're going to talk more about why it matters that it costs when, when I get to, to open, open this material on Sunday. And, and I love the springboard that you gave, Ray, for that to be a natural progression um, in, this, in this dialogue. Because if we're not thinking about cost, if we're not thinking about, we're never going to be ready to pay it. And, and so I think that there's, there's something powerful in, in your story, again, without giving any of the details, that there really was a cost to be paid by that individual. And again, back to the mercy, by showing mercy, you provided long-term um, vulnerability in that relationship. And, and I think that those really are instrumental in this dialogue. Again, back to don't build up walls, build boundaries so that there's appropriate levels of safety and protection and dialogue that allows for um, that cost to be paid. But you gotta be willing to open up the wallet or open up the time bank and, and spend it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, relationships take time. And, you know, it just, we are gonna have to give of our time and our resources. And we can't be worried if somebody brings their kids in our house and something gets broken or something happens. I mean, that's got to not be our first priority. Um, and that's not always easy. You know, we tend to not wanna spend our peace, our time, our possessions. Um, mm. But if we have that attitude of our friends, yeah. We know that it all belongs to God and you don't see them worrying about those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. People can you, see it. It's funny, Michelle, you bring up, you say, you say peace, your time. And those, that's how we think about it. Yep. it we didn't create peace. Mm -mm. It was a gift from the Lord. Yep. I mean, he says, what is it that you have that did not come from me? Mm -hmm. not it's, it's not our time it's yep. time he, he gave us time and so that's yet another thing that we have to loosen our grip on because we don't own it mm -hmm. we're just stewards of it yep you know that's really countercultural, though in our society I mean, you know, every, almost everybody that watches this has a work obligation that they are supposed to go to work for a certain amount of time and they have tasks they need to get done. And there's nobody at their work that is saying, oh, yeah, take time to make relationships along the way. I mean, maybe sometimes, <laughs> but that's that's not the priority. And yeah. so you have to really live counterculturally. I think that's sometimes why when people talk about going on missions trips and seeing people who have far less than we have, but experience so much more joy because they are not bound in the same way we are to tasks and time. And so they don't get distressed about all that, but everything in our culture is performance, get it done, make it happen fast. Mm -hmm. And you got to really fight against that. When, when Jesus called us to be salt and light in the world, so many Christians have that charge on them, right? We, I want to be light. I want to be salt. I want to be different. 
and, you know, and another one to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we want, as Christians, we're trying to do this life. And sometimes what we can find ourselves doing is almost falling into this pharisaical, well, I know the word, I read the word, I did these things, I, I have all this together. And the world is looking at us saying, but you're no different than me. And so, you know, Michelle, you said countercultural, it is countercultural. And whenever we act differently in the world with our mercy, our time, our possessions, all of a sudden, yes, we're, we are just like everybody else until that point, whenever they say that neighbor, that one's different. That employee, that one's different. Very rarely does somebody say, wow, they sure do know the Bible a whole lot. Therefore, I want to be like them. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying we don't need to learn the scripture, like clearly that is what God wants for us so that we can be better at living at life. But really the rubber meets the road when we start to live the scripture and the way we live the scripture is by yes. doing these things of being a good neighbor. And all of a sudden the world looks at us and they are, start to see light salt. They start to see somebody that they want to follow. And uh, I love it. I love countercultural. <laughs> Obviously this is so good. I love the discussion. So we've got time for a little bit more. Let's do, um, one of the things that I loved about this story that I, that stood out to me was you showed a video clip, which again, if you haven't watched the sermon or we're not there, you got to go watch this from this series. But um, Matthew, the thing that I noticed as I was watching this video clip is everybody's against Matthew, right? Everybody's against him because he is a tax collector. Because he's a tax collector, you said this in your sermon, basically that means that his job is to collect enough for the government and then keep enough aside for himself. Nobody likes that guy. So therefore, his only ally in life, his only friend is the government, if you will. Like those are the people that would be his only connection or other tax collectors. So if you try to imagine who Matthew was, he was really ostracized from so many people. And the few people that were in his life were other tax collectors, which were hated by everybody else as well. So when Jesus says, follow me, he literally is giving up everything. He is leaving his only ally, his only crew. You know, imagine your crew that goes through life, whether you're in high school, college, coworkers, whoever your people are, we go to lunch together, we hang out. Imagine that's all you have. And you leave that to follow Jesus. And uh, it's just, it's awesome. So, you know, as I tell you that story again, does it stir up any thoughts for you or anything? Or maybe here's another thing I'd love to hear too, if, if is your story when God called you and what it felt like. You can pick between those and answer. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this really quickly. Um, Philip, your recounting of what Matthew was giving up reminded me of what I was giving up to come to South Carolina. Mm. 44 years of relationships, 44 years of influence, 44 years of building a fairly comfortable life to, to follow Jesus to a place where I didn't have family he was preparing one for me where I didn't have friends. He was preparing those for me as well. 
where I didn't have the influence. So I would be leaning on and leaning into him to open up doors for me that I'll just say it back in Missouri, I would probably say I did that. Now saying that is completely foolish without acknowledging that it was him, but we've all been there before. Yep. And so this was like a hard reset for my wife and I. I remember driving down here and we said this, um, where was it that we had to trust the Lord in the last 44 years? I mean, we had been through Dave Ramsey, so we had developed an emergency fund and savings and everything was absolutely wonderful. And it's like, we couldn't really remember other than me trusting the Lord for the messages for the week. We knew our kids' friends and we thought they were reasonably safe, so we didn't have to really trust them for anything. And we, we felt that mm -hmm. because moving down here, we'd have to trust them for everything <laughs> yeah. and that's where he wants us yeah yeah no, there's that's powerful ray because what i love about it the most is what you acknowledged in that it's not that you didn't have to trust him for everything before it's that this made it obvious that you had to make the daily decision it's not that you weren't making that decision it's that you had gotten into that rhythm that god will sometimes allow us to be and there's nothing sinful about that rhythm you know, I think back to two times and I'll, I'll, I'll do similar to yours. Mine wasn't the move to South Carolina. Mine was the move to Washington State. We had been in a small church in Vermont, a small church, 400 people for 13 years. I mean, I made a phone call. I could make things happen in town. And again, that's not because I was Mr. Powerful. It's because I had built relationships. I had grown up there and gone back. So I even knew the mayor from when we were children you know, to, to all these different connections. So all of a sudden I'm in, in the Northwest and I know no one. <laughs> and I'm having to depend on the relationships, other people and the chips other people are giving me. And, and the Lord was having to open, open doors. And it was the first time that reminded me of my Matthew experience when I first became a believer. And I literally, Philip, I love the way you said that. Everyone that I knew was no good. And I mean that respectfully because some of them are my friends to this day, but I had no business continuing to hang out with them or my behavior would not have changed. And so there was a season where I had no one, but one Christian guy that kind of God sent into my path as I was becoming a believer that literally came up to me and said, Hey, I think we should be friends. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and you know he ends up being in my wedding and we're still in touch today but i literally went from being the life of the party to having no one that wanted to party with me and so i think of those two times together where i had to really trust and say okay god i'm on my own out here um and god's smiling you've been on your own the whole time uh you know in terms of human beings i've been the one carrying you even before you knew it so now you're going to learn it um but i think of those two times where it's like where's everybody it's like, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, my move to South Carolina, of course, is my watershed moment. You all know that. And, um, you know, I lost not only the community that I was in, where I wasn't a uh, in ministry professionally, but I had relationships and I was doing ministry and loved the community I was in and moved to South Carolina. And, you know, our family fell apart. 
And so I was here and talk about dependence on God. You know, I didn't know financially where things were going to come from. I had not planned to work. I was going to go back to school. Um, you know, all these plans that I had. And, you know, I think about Matthew and he said yes to Jesus and he understood what he was walking away from. And I knew before I came, like I could have dug my feet in, in Pennsylvania and I could have said, okay, I'm not going, I'm not going with what I know now, you know, I'm not going, but the Lord was really specific with me about coming. And he used that time to mold me to talk to me, to train me and teach me. I felt like, okay, maybe the, the reasons that I was here are not all okay, but Jesus had good reasons. And he used that time to be one-on-one -on -one with me and grow our relationship in ways that would have never grown. And I was so dependent every day, every moment, every time I wrote a bill, you know, all those kinds of things. And God will use those times. And I'll bet when Matthew gave all that up, I'll bet he was attached to Jesus in a way like, okay, Jesus, I have lost it all. <laughs> I have got to learn what you've got for me because otherwise I've just given it all up for nothing. So help. What am I going to do, Jesus? Yep. It's that forced dependence. I love it. It is. The, those are the moments I, I've always felt as much as I hate those moments because they're so hard. I've also yeah. learned that those are some of the sweetest times because those are the times where, you know, God is not giving up on you. Actually, instead, he's molding you. Those are the times yeah. where you're like, wait a minute, God has something for me because he is refining me right now by me letting go of so many things. And that means that he loves me. He's moving me onto something and he's preparing me. So I'm ready for what it is. And it's actually encouraging if you can see it that way. And so I, when you're in the middle of it, it is not easy to see it that way. I 100% agree, but it's good to remember that. Okay, one more thing. This will be the last thing. So I loved Ray, how you described, you know, so we're talking about Matthew. And so he does follow Jesus. And then the next thing they do is they throw a party. They throw a gathering. And who is there? All of these other, who's, who, who are his friends? The tax collectors. Now, all of a sudden, not only has he left all these people, supposedly his new crew, because now he's a Christ follower, his new crew is scoffing at him because look at, and Jesus, because look at all these people that they're hanging out with at this party. And so, once again, we're talking about being a good neighbor. A good neighbor is not an echo chamber of people who look alike, sound alike, think alike, vote alike. A good neighbor is somebody who's involved in everybody's lives, even the people who your Republican or Democratic friends would scoff at you for hanging out with. You know, I mean, I feel it. I seriously feel it right now. I feel like I'm a pretty friendly guy, but I feel like if somebody starts to think I'm leaning one direction too much that I have to let them know that I'm not too far there. And so how do we play that out right now? Um, you know, how does what conversation does that spur for you when you think about him being with people that all his friends are scoffing at his new friends? You know, if we don't see all people as folks that were worthy of Christ dying for, we will continue to put people in boxes and categories and hold them there. 
Um, the moment I understand that my neighbor across the street that's from Egypt and his family, they, they like to gather on Sunday evenings. If I miss the, the, the cultural diversity that God has planted in this neighborhood because of my own ignorance, um, that's on me, especially as a shepherd that I, that I miss that God has placed these specifically, he has divinely placed these people in this community and me in this community to come together for his glory. To my neighbor that's on the other side of them that are ex-military and they are my people that are by the letter of the law. And they're hard to talk to because it's like they're ratting people out every time they say something. It's like, have, but do you know them? Do, do you know the neighbors? Do you know why they're that way? Well, no, we don't. And it's, no, Philip, to your point, we have to see people, and this is a prayer. <clears throat> this, really, this really is what this is. This is a prayer to ask the Lord to allow you to see people the way that he does. Mm. That changed everything for me when I prayed that prayer when I was working in the healthcare field. Because people get on your nerves. They can sometimes be demeaning. They can lord over you their positions. And this is where you have to work. And this is who you have to work with. And it's like, God, help me to see them the way that you do. Yeah. That changes everything. Because mm -hmm. you understand he loves them. He wants to have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And if you can see that they don't even know who he is, that's what you're there for. Mm -hmm. To wow. show them what it looks like for a life to be invaded by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's good. That's so powerful, Ray. I was I was thinking, you know, today it's today's inauguration day, and and I woke up this morning and I looked at my newsfeed on Facebook and I had to smile. And here's the here's the weird thing that made me smile. I have a group of friends, and I mean close friends that I adore and I love, that think that this is the worst day in the history of the, of the world. And I have an equal number of group of friends who think this is the best day in the history of the world. And, and I smiled at that because that has been because 20 years ago, I was pretty opinionated and I made a decision. I prayed and I said, God, help me to be more a reflection of your kingdom than any political posture. And being a human being, it's natural to, to have some political positions and to do that. And there's actually nothing sinful about that at all. It's, it's putting it in the right order. And, and I'm seeing on my Facebook feed, the fruit of 20 years of cultivating relationships with people on every, and I don't say that to brag. I say that because it's been an intentional choice and I love every single one of them. And, and, and what I know is both of them are right and wrong at the same time, because here's what is going to happen. And here's what has happened today. God is still sovereign and still wants me to love people. So what a life lesson that's been for me, as if you know me, you know I can have opinions, um, to be able to submit those and say, God, more important than any of those opinions is to those, those people know that I love them. And so I think that, Ray, I love that, that, that image of the diversity of people around us and choosing to embrace that diversity from cultural to political to every single aspect and say, God did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. yeah. So 
there's a practical part to this, um, you know, which is, I, I mean, I prayed the prayer, same pray, 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 help me see people, give me your eyes, Jesus, all those things. But even when your heart begins to turn to people, sometimes you're like, I don't know how to have a conversation. I don't know how to open the door to this. Um, and so I would say first pray. But then also, secondly, follow that up, get curious, allow your curiosity to drive you with people, find out what they do for a living about their family, if they have political opinions or any opinion that's different than you, start asking why, tell me a little bit about how you came to feel that way. It's amazing what we'll learn about people and everyone wants someone to listen to them. And so I think as believers, we sometimes get crosswise. We think, oh, I'm supposed to go out into the world. I'm supposed to make disciples and I'm supposed to bring people to Jesus. And really it can be so simple as just learning to ask good questions and then listening with a real open heart to what people say. And, you know, that's why people pay pastors and counselors and coaches because nobody listens to them. Imagine <laughs> if the body of Christ listened, would put all that out of business. You know, well, probably not. We still need professionals, but yeah, you yeah. get my point. We need to ask and then listen. I love it. You know, the, the first thing Jesus says, and you started this, Philip, the first thing Jesus says to Matthew is follow me. Yeah. Not make disciples. Mm -hmm. you, you can't make disciples until you learn to follow him first. And so for some people, that's where you need to start following him. Mm -hmm. And what following him looks like in the practical sense, as we began having discussion, is defaulting to him in prayer regarding the very things that you just don't have enough knowledge about. Yep. Whether that is enough knowledge about what is actually going on in Congress, mm -hmm. what is actually because, you know, we can get into our own echo chambers and we think we know we don't have an idea. And, and that's the, the same applies for COVID. You can go to your echo chamber and get what you get and you can go to yours and get what you get. And guess what? You still don't have the whole story. And so this is where going to God, actually allowing him to lead you in your everyday decision making. And so for the neighbor, I have a neighbor and I, 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 it's clear, I have an assignment and I have to get it done before the next time I speak. There's a neighbor that God has put his thumb on me too, Michelle, to say, hey, I want you to go over and have a conversation with him. And this is a neighbor that he doesn't know it, but he actually offended me in our first few months of being here. I'm not going to tell him he did that. Cause that's not a great intro. <laughs> so, so how, so how do you uh, have that conversation, that introduction? Cause we have yet to exchange names. I think the best way to do it first, humble yourself. Second, go with a compliment. Mm -hmm. Go with a compliment because his yard, it's immaculate. <laughs> And I can tell he loves to trim trees. Because <laughs> anybody that will get up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday <laughs> to cut down his tree, he must love trimming trees. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the conversation. And I'm, hopefully there's a story that's going to come out of it. Yeah, that's cool. As we're, 
as we're going through this series, it's, and as you guys are talking, it's reminding me just to remember that the enemy is not each other. The enemy is Satan and he is prowling around and he is trying to devour us. I mean, that is scripture. That is fact. That is truth. How does somebody uh, attack and kill prey? They divide them from everybody else and they single them out. And you have to look at our world and you have to see how it's just slowly, oh, oh, he commented on somebody who said that they're homosexual. Well, he must be one of the homosexual people. Oh, he, he loved a comment by a Democrat. Oh, he must be a Democrat. And we are ready to just categorize and separate. And you know what? We love people. We love different political things. Um, everything. There is not a person in this world that we are not called to love. And our enemy is not each other. Our enemy is Satan. And so we will wrap up this podcast, but we just have to say that we hope everybody who's out there listening and coming to church with us online, that you are being challenged by God each in your own ways and not just the challenge, but that you're acting on it and living out differently because of what the word is teaching all of us. We're in this together and we're all striving to be more like Christ every day. So thanks for taking this neighboring journey with us. We will sign off and hope to see you at church on Sunday. See you later. Bye, everybody. See y'all. East Lake Community Church is an intentional, multicultural community empowered by the Holy Spirit. We passionately pursue a loving relationship with God and everyone Jesus was sent to die for, here, near, and far.